ever wanted to work in the gaming industry? He's here to tell you why that's a bad idea. It's Behind the Line Radio with your host, Kinetic. And it starts now. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Behind the Line Radio, a podcast about the making of video games, the business of video games, and the people of the video games industry. I'm your host, Kinetic, a.k.a. Nick. Joining me, as always, is Baron Fang, or Jeff. How are you doing today, Jeff? I'm excellent. How are you? I am all right. I had a decent Halloween. Um, My team at work actually won awards in all three main categories that, that the office was competing in. And I hold my fingers up with a three as though anyone can see it. So, <laughs> yep, we got uh, our, our um, cubicle decorations won third place. Uh, we got one of our one of the testers won an award for costume, and one of the leads won a pumpkin decorating contest. So, mm. we, we we made place in all three categories. Awesome. We also have always made place for the decoration contest. <laughs> yeah. Ah. How was your Halloween? Or did you do anything? No, not really. Just uh, just binge some uh, Halloween movies. I like literally the Halloween horror horror series oh. movies. That was about uh, my highlight. Yeah. Did you include the Rob Zombie versions? No, no. Uh, my wife is uh, is allergic to the Rob, the Rob Zombie <laughs> versions. <laughs> she doesn't want any part of them. Uh, I, I I enjoyed them. I thought they were all right. Though, although if you, if you want the distilled essence of Rob Zombie in a movie, it's um, the House of a Thousand Corpses and the Devil's Rejects. Yeah. <laughs> if yeah. if that's I, your I thing, it's certainly not for everybody. If that's your thing. Yeah. <laughs> Lords uh, of Salem wasn't bad either, but it wasn't quite as like pitch perfect Rob Zombie, but it was it was it was good for what it was. Yeah. Okay. Anywho, moving on to the main topic of conversation for today. Uh last uh last episode, I suppose you call them episodes with podcasts. Is there a better word? Sure. Sure. Last <laughs> time. Whatever. Uh, Judge Greg asked a question for our lukewarm take on EA shutting down Visceral, and I gave a quick answer. But since then, there was a piece on Kotaku that about the collapse of Visceral and the game that went into some detail, had some interviews and such. And oddly enough, to me it feels strangely predictable. I almost wish I'd gone into it in in more detail because a lot of this, I, I guess I didn't because it, it would be too um, not subjective. What's the word? Speculative. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah, to, it's since become a little less speculative. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, when stuff like that, you know, we're, it's never a happy thing when a studio gets shut down, especially if it's a studio that's responsible for a franchise that you like. So it's a bit macabre to be like, yeah, I think this happened or I think that happened. But so, I mean, the <laughs> hindsight is twenty twenty. but still I can kind of walk through this and point out how surprisingly uh, predictable some of this stuff could have been. And I mean, well, anyway, let's let's kind of get into it here. I mean, one of the sort of truisms of... The games industry is you're pretty much one failure away from shutting down, right? 
Seems that way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and EA, I mean, if, if you look into this story, I'm not going to say EA is wholly blameless in, in how this went down, but it certainly wasn't one-sided, as some people seem to presume. I mean, hell, there was that Penny Arcade... Did I even mention this last time? There was a Penny Arcade comic that was just uh, Tycho looking at the reader or camera or however you'd phrase that, and just talking directly at EA, you destroy beautiful things. Like, I bet there's more to it than this. Because why would anybody in the business of business, and business being making money, or at least, you know, trying to continue your business, spend a whole lot of money to get something uh, started and then just shut it down? That, I mean, that doesn't make a lick of sense, right? (laughs) But, um, yeah, the details about this are that it was just a troubled production from the get-go. Mm. I mean, and some of that, and and here's where I think, e- I'm just scattering all over this stuff here, so I am sorry. This might be one of my <laughs> worst podcasts ever, but I wanna, this is something that's worth talking about. Um, Visceral looks like it was in a fairly bad state going into this. I mean, yeah, to start with, yeah. Yeah, I mean the the whole Dead Space as a franchise kind of falling off at least in terms of uh market expectations. I mean, when when people say, mm-hmm. "Oh, why did you expect it to to generate this much money in the first place?" Well, and this is where things get complicated is because you don't know how much money was being put into each Dead Space game in the first place. Mm-hmm. So, I'm forced to accept that, okay, Dead Space 2 underperformed to the point where Dead Space 3 had some additional moves put into it, monetization schemes and whatnot that didn't pan out either. Okay, you got Visceral that now has one, maybe two misses in a row here. Then you got them working on, was it Battlefront Hardline or Battlefield Hardline? I think that's it, yeah. Yeah. Hard it's a bit of a right left turn for them. <laughs> yeah. And they had some difficulties getting on with that. And that one didn't perform well either. Okay. Technically now you're up to strike three. And they get another chance at, at the plate with uh, the Star Wars game called Ragtag. And, I mean, just right there already gets me thinking, have you ever seen Mr. Baseball? The Tom Selleck movie from back in the day. There's this bit where he has this dream where he's uh, at bat in a game. And he gets strike three and and, and is struck out. But everyone kind of just waves him back to the plate. And there's another pitch. And the umpire calls strike four. And then he gets another pitch and it's strike five. (laughs) And then he just like switches the bat around and is holding it upside down. And he gets strike six and it's... Yeah, just, just, when, people, when, when when someone keeps getting more chances when it doesn't seem to be working out, I think of that scene. And I'm going to be <laughs> lucky if one person listening to this identifies with that observation. <laughs> but seen a lot of baseball movies, but that one, <laughs> that one I don't think I've seen. Yeah, that, uh, yeah. Real quick, the plot is that uh, Tom Selleck's character kind of washes out in the American... Uh, leagues and get sent to the Japanese baseball league and they all yeah. work a lot harder than he does and you know fish out of water cultural tourism thing whatever 
<laughs> so, anyway, let's look at the actual ragtag project here. The much is made of the fact that the engineers at the Visceral Studio uh, in the Bay Area were very expensive, and yeah. that's true. I mean, that's true. I, if if engineers in video games made as much as their skill would demand of them in other fields, uh, games would cost at least $80 baseline. Like, you'd have to make that up. You, the games industry only operates almost by charity, or rather passion, of the people who want to work in the industry. The, most engineers would probably make at least half again more in another industry. So... And the Bay Area is way more expensive in general. There are so many tech companies around in Silicon Valley that the demand for engineers is is higher. And so to actually get the good talent, you have to pay more. Now, it's also true that this being a center starts attracting people from other areas. But that doesn't mean the competition. It, it, it's still fierce. It, it doesn't. It's not enough to really increase the de- the supply such that the demand is uh, starts getting depressed and the, the the wages get depressed no demand is still high wages are high so even you can still make a studio work in the bay area um i've worked at some hell the uh, in the mid 2000s there were so many mobile game development uh groups in um in the bay area there was this bit that was called mobile alley by Somebody out there, not a lot. I read someone say it, but point being, Hubble Alley. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, and and there's plenty of other game places in the Bay Area too. I mean, like Sony's office is here, EA's headquarters is here. Um, mm. There's a Capcom. There's uh, Glue's headquarters is here. Let's uh, uh, see. I I keep get uh, uh, Tiny Co. Um, are two K down there as well? Or um, I, uh, th- there's more. Um, freaking uh, Lucas Arts was in in the greater Bay Area. Yeah, you know, there, there's a lot of stuff around here, and a lot of its development. So you can make it work. But the point I'm getting at here is, just because you can make it work doesn't mean that the pay rates aren't more expensive in the Bay Area than other places. And that gets to why. When development of Ragtag, the scope was ambitious, and they needed more engineers, and they were not allowed to hire more local engineers, and they wound up outsourcing it to Canada, where things are just less expensive. If you need more Mm. headcount, that's one way to do it. There are logistical problems with having distributed teams, but you can make it work. I've worked on projects with distributed teams. I've worked on projects where some of the development was happening in Canada, those games shipped. <laughs> mm. um, but I'm not sure that while EA has distributed development, including places in Canada, I'm not sure that Visceral had the experience or the management structure to actually make this work. Yeah, they'd never worked that way before, in other words. Not only had they never worked that way, but with, I am sorry, the name is escaping me, the writer, was it Amy Hennig? Henning? Yeah, 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 there Hennig, we go. Yeah. Hennig. Hennig, like Kurt Hennig, 
which I had pronounced for years as Henning, which was not <laughs> right. It's a weird... I'm a wrestling fan. I like Mr. Perfect. He was really good. Anyhow, Amy Hennig, writer known for Uncharted series, right? Okay, so we're yep, going to come in. Yep. We're going to bring her in, and she's going to bring some gravitas and um, everything else uh, experience to this, to ragtag the somewhat Uncharted style Star Wars game. Okay. Mm. Uh, Naughty Dog had a particular sort of sounded like it had a fairly flat structure in terms of uh, hierarchy. Uh, yeah. Like People were allowed a lot of autonomy. Like, okay. Mm. And they were trying to do that, something similar to that at Visceral. Um, I don't remember off the top of my head if that was a result of Amy Hedig's influence or they were just trying to do that on their own. That is a super risky move. There mm. are very few teams that can work like that. As I've said in other places, bureaucracy is a wonderful thing until you notice it, because it's what allows large groups of people to operate as a unit. If you're going to go without the uh, leadership structure or with a, an abbreviated or shortened leadership structure, so you're giving people more autonomy, you have to make sure that you're bringing in the right people on the team so that they're all yeah. al they, they all just naturally align themselves. Uh, uh, working towards the same vision or the same goal. Or you have one person who is offering such a clear beacon of a goal that everyone is confident in their independent decision-making that everyone is going that same direction. Trying to take a team that doesn't have that and, and impose that method on them is a super risky thing to do. Mm. Uh, it, Jeff, in your experience, have you seen different types of management like that yeah and uh i i've i've had situations where i i've been parts of teams that were very flat and as long as the as long as the scope i don't want to misuse the word scope as long as the scope of what's being worked on is is a reasonable size it can work but it mm. gets more and more unwieldy the bigger it gets and you know this 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 was not a uh, this was not a small undertaking. <laughs> this, this game like just uh, I didn't realize one of the one of the main things that came out of the articles I've read is how much interaction they had with ILM and and, and stuff like that oh, yeah. and 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 how much they had to go back and forth with the quote unquote Star Wars people, which I assume is uh, what is that a continuity canon type thing? Like it's not your property, so you have yeah, to managing the intellectual open. property. It has to be approved by the intellectual property holder. Yeah, and that is that is not a small thing. No, you know? especially like, especially if it's something like not only are you dealing with uh, an intellectual property holder, you're dealing with Disney. Yeah, yeah, the intellectual property holder. Like you know? they they Disney <laughs> no, like Disney has rewritten intellectual property laws. Yeah, to benefit themselves. Yeah, and so, and uh, I, I can't imagine at any point during either the, the Legacy of Kane games or during the Uncharted series that there would have been any significant outside um, influence on story or direct or direction or um, I don't know even minutia, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so having having to. And that's and 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 I'm only mentioning one of the balls that they had to keep in the air. You know, yeah. a big one though that 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 was 
um, you know, then there's probably a hundred other little EA related uh, um, DNA type things that, that, that weren't mentioned, but yeah, that, that, that sort of structure, I, I don't, in my limited experience, doesn't really lend itself to lumbering multifaceted beasts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like this. Because, because actually I, I actually missed a, a, a step of the plate in, in going over the setup. There was also the other project they were trying to work on, uh, codenamed Yuma, that was supposed to have a whole lot of, um, you know, space exploration stuff going on. And that one got dropped when, be, because of Hennig's uh, insistence, she wasn't interested in, in making an open world game. She wanted a linear game. You know, yeah. more uncharted like. So, I mean, technically, you you scrap everything you had before and you're doing it again. So that's you know, whether you count Dead Space Two as a problem, we're still at four strikes here, uh, maybe five, depending on how you count. Um, and so, you know, if you take everything there that was in development, you scrap it. I mean, that's that's expensive. I mean, no one wants to do that, which is why developers often get you know enough rope to hang themselves. In some cases, but yeah, it's everyone's. It, sometimes you just have to separate that emotional investment in your work and say, no, it's not working. We got to cut it. And actually, that's a sign of a good producer uh, or mm. producing organization, I would say, when they're not too scared to to um, pull the plug on something. It's like, yeah. look, I'm sorry. We know that this isn't going to work. We're not going to invest in them in this anymore. Um, I would say uh, on the flip side that a good publisher would not be jerks and retain the intellectual property rights to the work and let them say, look, if you can make it work with a different publisher, go for it. And hopefully we missed, but <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think it's happened that often. <laughs> I, I have personally been involved in a situation where we did pass on a project and they found a different publisher and I'm pretty sure that publisher re regretted it, but the game did get released, you know, mm. so that happens. It's not never. Mm. It's probably mostly on a level that you don't hear about it, but it does happen. Yeah. Yeah. So going back to the leadership methods. Yeah. This game, the codename Ragtag, not Yuma. We're done with that one. Ragtag, the, the, the Uncharted style. Big, ambitious project being executed by a team experimenting with a flat organization structure, you're going to wind up with a whole bunch of situations where the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. Things have dependencies yeah. on each other and they're not going to meet up and effort's going to be wasted. This put uh, uh, Amy Hedick in a position where it sounds like, while she was already a very hard worker in these projects, she felt that she had to tie everything together herself which would lend itself to other problems. That's uh, uh, sort of the, the flip side of this kind of thing, where if you have someone, they become a bottleneck. And yeah. there's a, a story here about uh, people would wait weeks or maybe months to try to get approval from her for something, only be told that, no, that doesn't meet the requirements or it's, it doesn't, it's not good enough. So, okay, did that bottleneck effect have a cascading effect on other things that might have been dependent upon that thing. Yeah. Okay, now you've just, just lost a month of time. Mm -hmm. how, how many how many dependencies cascade on each other like that? 
uh, how much time was wasted of someone not working on something because they were waiting for approval. Now, hopefully that one would be pretty minor because people would be smart enough and independent enough to say, I'm done with this, I'm going to work on something else. Yeah. But still, also, if work did proceed on something that was dependent on the thing that wasn't approved, does changing the thing that's approved that, that did not get approval require changes to the other the other cascading dependencies down the line? You, you look at the... I, this is all the stuff that I think when I'm reading this stuff. It's like, oh my god, this sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, even even the um, even vision, you know, like we we could we could just spend a whole podcast just talking about the big picture problems with this, you know, and yeah. you could spend another whole podcast talking about the minutia. But like the fact that um, the fact that like I think Amy Hennig, as you said, wanted ragtag to be a I, I don't know if this is reducing it too much but an uncharted take gameplay take on in the star wars universe like is Mm -hmm. that is that oversimplifying it i i don't think i don't think so if you're gonna say Um, it in that many words it needs to be put in a way like that so yeah and and, you know that and that means a lot of things like that means the gameplay is going to be a certain way the cinematics are going to be a certain way the fact that it's going to have to rely on a very strong central character you know that 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 it, it evokes certain things and but then you know you sorry continue then you then you get in then then you hear the sections of the you know and, and of course you you knew this article at the outset was going to involve it was going to have some of this stuff because anytime you have an article about behind the scenes ea you you expect you're going to hear some ea nonsense and this this little bit grabbed me about you know her giving presentations on story and themes and then an, an, an ea executive pipes up and says FIFA Ultimate Team makes a billion dollars. Where's your version of that? Like, so you've you've got you've got a vision on the ground level of of the this creative director wanting to make a particular game, and an and an executive at least one, not hard to believe, saying, well, why can't this be more like FIFA? <laughs> like, how how are you going to have a successful outcome when you have those two <laughs> conflict conflicting visions? Uh, you know, single single player focus versus multiplayer focused well that that is hard to reconcile much less any of this other stuff i'm, <laughs> that I'm not wasn't lining up so so let's dive into this one the the single player versus multiplayer thing i'm not i'm not entirely of the mindset that the issue at play with this was a single player versus multiplayer thing from ea's point of view that question sounds to me a bit more like well first of all if the executive phrased it that way uh, that executive is a bit of a dick, <laughs> but uh, the the underlying business question is uh, applicable. Like, look, we have a franchise that is this profitable. Mm. What are you doing to make your production profitable? And and if you look at it, the amount of resources that have to go into producing this project, it's significant. Now it's not necessarily yeah. it's not necessarily saying this is why it, this is my read on it from a report from something someone may or may not have said but this is what I take in the context is that it's not necessarily about like oh this multiplayer game gives us this much money you need to be multiplayer to make this much money it's look we have a set number of resources this one gives us this return give me some assurance about the level of return we should expect from your project. How are you going to make this profitable? And 
then coming back to, to some of the development issues here, they have been trying, they had been trying to basically go from zero to uncharted. <laughs> yeah. Straight <laughs> off. That's a good way to put it. Actually, that, that's, uh, that's quite a, that's quite a through line from zero yeah. <laughs> to Uncharted. And so they were going to go into this with an engine that wasn't built for it, and that's really probably mm. the most significant uh, thing you could point at EA for this is, look, there's a lot of people, I understand there, there's reactions about, you know, don't make the game engine a significant part of the coverage. Engines don't make games. The people make the games and blah, blah, blah. Engines, yeah. engines and underlying technology do still have dependencies and consequences of using them. They work good for some things, bad for other things, sure. If the engine that EA says people have to use is not well-suited for these games that they're making, why are they being forced to use this engine? I, mm. Like, yeah. the, the engine selected ideally should be best suited for... Uh, you know, the the tools that are needed for the game you're trying to make. Uh, mm. Is there some licensing thing? EA doesn't want to use an engine owned by somebody else, maybe? Uh, yeah. Could they, like, have gotten in touch with DICE to try to improve the engine? I mean, it sounds like a bunch of people are having issues trying to make third-person stuff with the, was it Frostbite engine? Yeah. In my head, I keep getting Frostbite and Icebox mixed up. But Icebox Why do they was the... have to have cold in the title. Yeah, yeah, that don't, that, that, don't, that don't help me none. I remember things visually, and, and <laughs> matching theming doesn't help. Also, if they have the same first letter, fortunately, it's not like Frostbite and Frostbox or something. That would screw me up real bad. Because that'd be FB on both of them, too. Huh, Jesus. <laughs> Anyhow, sure. Okay, they got a lot of technical hurdles to overcome dealing with this with this engine. There's a lot of investment you have to do with that. So it's going to be an expensive development, also because it's it's just going to be a big, grand game. And you're putting it out there. It, people are going to say this is Uncharted in the Star Wars universe, and so they're going to be comparing mm -hmm. it to Uncharted. Probably not favorably. Probably, day one. <laughs> yeah, and it's probably not yeah. going to be favorable because, like, what you're going to expect at first is, you know, you go from Zero to Uncharted 2, not Zero to Uncharted 4. Okay, so that's working against it. And then there's all the questions about, oh, well, why aren't there any Jedi or lightsabers or stuff? This is Star Wars. You have to have that stuff. And at once that can sound yeah. really reduction reductionary, it's like, yeah, Star Wars has more stuff. You can do other stuff in Star Wars. It's not just Jedi, but... Without but that, it's, it's an expensive that, playground to play in. Yes, you know? <laughs> without those without those things, does it really justify being a Star Wars game? That and that, yeah. I, with that, I'm not saying that all Star Wars games have to do that. But if you're in this big, expensive production environment with a big, expensive IP, yeah, I, d does it justify itself? <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a risk. It's a it's a by it's by its very nature a riskier move that you're taking work and choosing to work with a uh, a rights holder company that is probably i think it's safe to say pretty risk averse anyway yeah may, maybe if you're going to make a game that is um a little bit less uh ambitious in scope at least in terms of using all of the, the the space that's there in the ip maybe maybe this is a game that deserves to be its own ip or would be better suited to have more creative freedoms 
and not be burdened with a Star Wars <laughs> license if you're if you're not going to be making use of the Jedi stuff and all the all that that stuff. Like, there's there's nothing about this game that wouldn't work as a as a sci-fi property sure. of its own, you know. Yeah, but, and and then it would become Uncharted in space and <laughs> yeah. You know? And and then what distinguishes it from all the other stuff? If you don't have Star Wars associated, yeah. what's there to distinguish it? You yeah, know, that it, it's it's all like everything I read in this sounds like a terrible mess. Yeah, <laughs> and then you get to stuff like office morale. You know, uh, there's the bit where they were working on Hardline and Ragtag at the same time, and it became overt that the people working on Hardline were considered. You know, second class isn't necessarily the right way to phrase it, but yeah. like if if it becomes clear that all of the all stars are working on the other project, no, that's going to be a problem. Yeah, and people aren't going to want to stick around. And you're working in the Bay Area. Why? Yeah. Why? Why is an engineer who's in demand going to stick around in a place? Oh, great! We're working on video games. Guess what? I can work in video game on uh, video games in another place doesn't feel like crap that's so they started having headcount problems because people kept leaving and this is in a team that has struck out a few times already yeah i mean this this is if this were a fighter if a boxer kickboxer mma fighter this is where you have <laughs> one of those gimme matches where it's just, okay, now you have to rebuild your confidence. And that's kind of what Hardline was supposed to be, I think, because it was looked at as a safe bet. Yeah. But, you know, it didn't work out that way. And this yeah. is where I would go back to EA. It's like, okay, look, if you're trying to manage this team. Yeah. like, it, And th- this comes to another question. Exactly how much independence did Visceral have from EA? If... if EA was responsible for the. Let me let me say this again. If they had more independence, then this is all on Visceral. If they had less independence, then EA should should have had a, a bigger role in overseeing things like their own office morale. But yeah. greater independence at Visceral would mean that EA would have less visibility into team morale. That just mm. that just goes that way. Okay. Yeah. Um, you don't if if you're operating independently, you don't have. Uh, your publisher coming in and be and, and like talking with everybody in the office on a personal level, like having serious personal relationships with everyone in the office to actually be able to get a true read on the morale of the office. No, yeah. you're going to have like someone coming by is like, this person's really important. Be on your best behavior today. And you just you all kind of put on a face and it's not a good or bad thing. I'm just saying is what happens is like, you try to be on your best behavior. Don't like drop F bombs while you're, you know the money money dudes are walking through. You know, <laughs> yeah. It's it's G- given that given that this many that that such a number of studios that it's become literally a joke and a, and a meme have closed under EA's auspices. Can you really blame anyone for assuming that EA have a lot of culpability for the decisions that end up causing these studios to go under? Like. Can we really sit here and just think that they're un- unlucky, or are there patterns of behavior that lead to viscerals happening over and over again that seem to be endemic to EA? I I don't think that uh, someone looking at EA and saying that they have at least some level of responsibility in 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 studio closures, I don't think that someone taking that 
from it is unfair to EA because at the same time, EA doesn't do a whole lot to maintain or manage their public perception when it comes to these things. They don't... No. They don't... If something like this happens, EA doesn't go out with a counterpoint. No. So in any in they, any situation where you leave a vacuum like that, people tend to fill it with negative. Yeah. At but the then same, again, but then again, even even if you just like just do the counting, set a, set aside set aside the you know their the way they react versus another corporate culture reacts. Just just doing the math is somewhat damning. You know, <laughs> sure. That scientifically, one has to assume that there's some cause and effects. Yeah. What's what's the common element here? What's the common element? Yeah. Um, and, was... you know, and, may, and maybe this is a case of like, as you said, yeah, they visceral was a was a let's go back to boxing. Visceral was a studio on the ropes. Perhaps if EA was the one calling the shots and I'm go- I generally assume that that they are. That they should have said, okay, we need to throw him a softball here, or a gimme match, or whatever you said before, yeah. and not and not take a wounded animal like this and give them what is a very ambitious project. Even even when you redu- reduce it to just Uncharted in space, it still uh, was perhaps beyond their capability of of handling. Maybe that's maybe that alone is on EA to have said, yeah, you know what? Maybe we should give the Star Wars game to some other group and let these guys work on some uh, something a little easier. Maybe that's maybe that's what EA does over and over again. I don't know. I just... Well, that that actually kind of fits in. Like uh, someone uh, also said that EA was great, and the problem was they gave them too much freedom. So yeah. is there a maybe point where they should have said, like, happens. no, this is outside of your scope? And that's that's a, a real thing there too. It's like, is the actual problem that EA is actually too nice to the developers, too hands off? Yeah, and and so if you think about it, if a developer accepts on getting purchased, same sort of thing. Uh, uh, Chris said a while ago is like someone gets purchased, it's probably because they had some underlying business problem, and just adding cash to it won't solve the problem. So it's not you know. Just keep right on trucking, you crazy diamond. It's like, no, something has to change here. <laughs> yeah. Now, is that to say that Visceral was one of these? No, it's the, that only applies to other uh, – uh, that would only apply to some subset of uh, uh, teams that EA purchased and uh, then went under. But certainly, there, I mean, there's a lot of teams that, that have gone under while EA has – owned them and hell guru larry did did a fact hunt specifically about uh, developers that ea has shut down and 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 it was a a video where uh he actually gave some sympathy to peter molyneux which if you've watched guru larry's videos he he pretty he pretty (laughs) much always makes a joke at the expense of peter molyneux at one point in a fact hunt video (laughs) whether it's relevant or not just throws it in there yeah (laughs) well he he, yeah he, he 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 draws a line. So, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. Maybe maybe the ty- maybe that Tycho cartoon. I, I saw the one you were talking about. Maybe that Pinarke cartoon would be more accurate. Maybe the reality is, you know, you. It's not that you destroy things. It's that you mismanage or neglect things. Uh, yeah. Not not that that makes it any better. The, mm-hmm. the end result is the, is the same for for from the consumer perspective. It's that. That game that sounded cool that I heard about at show X Y Z 
isn't getting made and I have to bloviate about it. Um, yeah, for, from a consumer perspective, and I'll I'll speak from that perspective now. I to me whether whether they are the the great evil uh, tyrant or the neglectful, um, you know, too much too much rope, too much uh, leeway, um, <laughs> a parent who just doesn't pay attention to what the kid's doing. Either way, the result is the games aren't getting made and the studios are getting are getting close. Uh, um, they, yeah. I, you know, like I said, there, there's some, there's some e- culpability. Is the common element. Is, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, the, yeah. did you read the, uh, did, did you read anything? Um, that, that particular Kotaku article you mentioned is, is definitely one of the ones that, that jumped out at me. Um, I, have, have you heard any of the other sort of like ex devs trying to, you know, feel behind the curtain at, at EA or visceral Generally, or is that the primary one that uh, Every, you read? Honestly, everything else that I've come across basically points back to the Kotaku piece. Yeah. yeah. Um, if the, if there are others out there, I, I haven't come across them. Well, there was a there was a rather um, and I took I, I take it, it, I don't want to get too off topic, but there was an interview with an ex Bioware employee um, that I took I take with a large grain of salt because the individual in question is just a reprehensible person to begin with but he did he did mention a few things about ea's attitude towards monetization etc etc that it it all it almost sounded like um it it almost sounded like it was the exact sort of dirt or gossip you would you would it it it, it almost sounded like well i'm going to tell you exactly what you suspect it is trying to confirm biases yeah it, it it like and the the source, as I said, is such a, a questionable, such a questionable person that I, I remember thinking to myself, this this is almost sound like I I I believe about maybe half of this, <laughs> and the rest <laughs> of it just sounds just sounds like you know, well, I'm going to tell you exactly what you want to hear about them, and here's here's the dirt. Um, I, I you know, it's it's one thing for Kotaku to do. Um, I, I don't I didn't I don't know about you, I didn't find anything about this like. Yellow journalism. I, I didn't found. I didn't think it had the stink of like you know angry people venting. It's it seemed very um, even even handed. Yeah, every, um, everything here fits what I would have expected so well. I have no particular cause to question the accuracy of it. Yeah, and as an insider, you're, you're or our insider, whatever we want to call you, <laughs> yourself. I I when I hear you say it sounds. It, it passes the smell test, so to speak. That then I think, well, it, this this seems above board. Whereas some of the other stuff I've, that's come out recently seems more like embittered people, yeah, venting about the process. You know, like like the uh, you, you undoubtedly read this is going back quite a few years, but one of the three doctors I I can never remember which one it was. The one that's that's now a. Uh, making beer somewhere uh, in his free time did an did an interview after he left bioware uh and basic basically the only the only bad thing and it wasn't even a bad thing the only comment he made about what it was like working with ea is the very was the very oft quoted statement that he made that they give you enough rope to hang yourself (laughs) well that that seems to fit that was really the only bad. I, I don't even think that is necessarily a bad word, but that that's the closest he came to criticizing 
what it was like to work under their auspices. But that fits, that sort of fits a little bit with what we're hearing here. I, mm-hmm. I think it <laughs> on a, on perhaps a smaller scale, but um, yeah, it's it certainly, it's, it's certainly, uh, it, it certainly supports the, um, unattentive parent rather than the overbearing tyrant yeah, <laughs> argument yeah. for how things are done. It, it, and there, there, there's more here that kind of fits with some of, some of these observations too. Like uh, when uh, uh, EA Vancouver got involved, uh, they were freaked out about how little progress had been made on Ragtag. Uh, there's the, also, this is when they were brought in later. Yeah, yeah. And... Uh, visceral having trouble kind of uh, uh, working with Vancouver and this would be on EA's side of when some Vancouver resources were pulled away or all of them I think actually were pulled away uh, to work on a different project which was I think uh, uh, Battlefront 2 or something like that Hmm. but in any case you look at that and you're like okay well now if that if that was EA's call then EA is kind of dicking with with the resources allocated to the project and if you're going to pull away resources and not allow them to hire well i mean it's dead it's dead at that point unless unless here's another thing that really passes a sniff test to me because this reeks of a troubled production that people just don't want to kill when they talk about <laughs> Uh, rag this bit here uh, by April 2017 ragtag was up to gate three EA executive uh, vice president Patrick uh, Soderlund gave them the green light two sources said but he wanted to do another check-in after six months calling it great th- gate 3.5 like w- when you take those milestones and you start slicing them up into littler things like <laughs> I-, I don't know if i've ever seen something in that situation pull itself out and be successful yeah like like maybe a mobile game you wind up cutting it that way and you're just like oh god we're in it so far we'll just hit worldwide and see what happens (laughs) yeah and then usually you, you you make a little bit of a splash if you've got some user acquisition behind it and and you can chart for a little bit and you get this spike of users and you get you know, some revenue from it, and then it just falls off, and like three weeks later, you pull it from the store or something like that. I mean, that's what this sounds like to me. It's like, again, yeah. everything about it sounds like it's 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 had problems. Yeah. And that's why Anonymous, <laughs> vis- Anonymous Visceral Employee says, honestly, it was a mercy killing. It had nothing to do yeah. with whether it was going to be single player. I don't think that had anything to do with it. That game would have been good. Uh, that game would never... I'm trying to read a quote, and I'm I'm not reading it correctly. That game never could have been good and come out. It's just an awkward sentence, so I tripped over it. <clears throat> hmm. Yeah, it's all... I, I'm not going to say EA had no hand in this being a problem, but uh, I don't think they were the main uh, issue here. And I'm not saying that Visceral was necessarily the main issue, but... Clearly, some stuff was was not exactly working right, and I mean, even even where was it? <sighs> asking, for example, EA, someone from EA asking, okay, Half Life has the gravity gun. Where's your version of that? Uh, it's it sounds uh, if if you just take that question out, it sounds super insulting. 
Yeah. But if you put it into a context of this is a game, we have money invested in it, we need a hook. Is the hook yeah. just Star Wars or is there some gameplay mechanic? Or is this really just Uncharted in space? You know? It sounds like EA really wanted Oh. When you look at these questions from EA side, it makes a through line that they are trying to come up with some way to be assured that the market potential for the game is higher. So if you, if you just look at it as it is, it sounds really insulting, and I can get people would be upset that they would ask a question like that. But if you kind of look at it from the other side, well, why would they ask this question? Are they being insulting? Well, if, they, if they're just being insulting, why would they be doing this in the first place? No. It seems to me, like I said, they wanted something to indicate that the market cap for the game was higher than they projected. And if you could give them something like that, here's your version of a billion dollars from FIFA that we would expect from this game. How you would do it, I don't know. Or yeah. here's the big gravity gun hook. It's like, okay, well, let's uh, multiply the uh, projection by the appropriate amount or whatever. I mean, let's say you had a couple of really good hooks and you had this thing that would somehow do FIFA numbers like, okay, let's double or triple your budget here. Here's plenty of money. Go for it. Do it. Make it happen. Give us reassurances that, that you're on track, which, you know, sounds like they weren't the entire time, but, oh, I think I went on a little rant there. Okay. (laughs) Did you get it out of your system? (laughs) No, that's why I still do this show. (laughs) Yeah, I guess the moment you get out of your system, it'll be the last show, right? (laughs) (laughs) We've said all we have to say. That's it it for Behind the Line Radio. We're putting it to bed. It it will always renew itself as long as people continue (laughs) to universally praise developers and blame publishers, which is really what this whole episode is about, is everyone is so eager to blame the publisher. It is not to say that the publisher's hands are completely clean. But mm. holy crap, developers make mistakes too, and it's not a question of the business getting in the way of some artistic vision. No, I'm going to avoid going off on another topic because there's <laughs> other stuff that I want to get to here because on Twitter, um, I, I, I've always asked for feedback on email, but I get, and I've always wanted to do a mailbag. But I get more responses on Twitter, so I'm going to call this the Twitter bag <laughs> when I get enough. So, well, one question came, or comment, these are questions and comments, uh, from the Monster Closet. Uh, thanks, guys. Uh, are AAA developers veering away from single-player games in favor of microtransactions slash season passes supported by ongoing ser- or supporting ongoing services? Uh, I would not necessarily say that. This feeds off of a whole bunch of the conversation we've had before is that it's about um, market cap. Um, A lot of people look at games as a service as some sort of dirty concept. We talked to David about some of this stuff. This is just kind of the way it's going. If you're going to expect games to have things like balance patches, fixes, updates over the years, guess what? It's a service. Look, I'm sorry. It's not a box product that you just put out there and it's done. Okay. The, those kinds of things happen. If, if Basically, if it ever connects to a server, there's a service behind it. Uh, the economics of that is different from a boxed product. Um, oddly enough, I think uh, 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 the game, uh, game Dev Tycoon 
is kind of interesting with that where it only functions where you're releasing games as boxed products. Even MMOs, for some godforsaken reason, you don't get any uh, increased marketing off of that. Or at least it did last time I played. They may have updated in the past mm, two years. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's, it's not necessarily a case of... Um, going away from a single-player game. I mean, if that were the case, we wouldn't we wouldn't still have Uncharted games coming out. Uh, but it has been a truth for a long time in the industry that, and this is from over 10 years ago, multiplayer keeps players coming back to your game. I mean, what do you remember from GoldenEye? Do you remember the, the single-player campaign? Which, by the way, is brilliant... <laughs> Yeah. Or, or do you remember multiplayer? I think you remember multiplayer. You don't necessarily remember the brilliant level design and and the increasing uh, adding new objections or not objections objectives <laughs> for increasing difficulty stages that add like all sorts of crazy stuff uh, to the game. I mean, first stage is based on a really quick scene in the movie where you see James Bond running and then jumping off of a... Of a off a dam. Of a dam, hydroelectric dam, yeah. Yeah, the double uh, O agent difficulty setting on that adds this huge thing behind it, and that's awesome. Does anybody talk about that? No. They talk about <laughs> slappers only, no odd job, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, why, think, why would um, someone go back and play GoldenEye? They play it for the multiplayer. That's where your sales yeah. come from. And... and it's just true. You know, it's just true. This is a real thing. It's not necessarily that it is exactly explicitly 100% true at all times, but there is a lot of truth to it. So if you're going to keep increasing budgets for games and not paying developers more and not charging more, you're going to have to get the money from somewhere. Say it all the time. Business got a business. Or do the alternative, which is say that if you are going to create a game where you only get one bite at the cherry and your secondary money is going to come from story-driven GLC, then you have to make it so that it will be profitable within those confines. Yeah, the the DLC is going to have to be budgeted on its own. It's going to be a separate development. It basically would be treated as a sequel. Maybe don't pay for the multi-million – maybe don't use the multi-million dollar engine. Maybe don't take the most expensive – and, you know, it seems like from – as an outsider looking in, it seems like a lot of AAA publishers have a lot of trouble getting that balance, right? Well, it's it's, it's almost like they've forgotten how to make – to to just set a very modest framework, work within it, and and keep a single-player game publisher – profitable without overdoing it (laughs) well that goes back Uh, to the fifa thing fifa can make us this much money we have this many resources to invest in things we can invest it in something that gives us this level of return or we can invest it in this thing that gives us one tenth that return what makes more sense and and again i'm not necessarily saying what's right or wrong here but don't ignore that part you can invest in something that has a way bigger return why would you not and yeah. I can give you an answer why you wouldn't, because you can invest in these things that may not return as well, but one, serves a different community, which would in turn uh, have a better impression of you as a company. Two, you can get prestige titles out. I'm pretty sure The Last Guardian did not make money. <laughs> yeah. It's 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 yeah. moderately well regarded. I mean, no, it's not Shadow of the Colossus, but what is? 
Um, but after that yeah. much development, I am I would not be surprised if it was not a profitable venture for Sony. So yeah, yeah, like I I can I can go on Steam right now and find and find good single player games made by modestly sized companies that have had to work. Um, and I I assume like you know it's a lot of work to get that balance right right like they've had to work with it with small teams 10 20 people um they didn't spend millions and millions and millions of dollars on their engines they've they've managed to sell a single player experience they've made a profit on it they've not overshot the mark they've not said oh crap we have to sell a million of this or our company is going under and they've got that that balance right like <laughs> it's poss it's possible to do I think it gets harder the bigger the – it seems at a glance that it gets harder to do the bigger the, the company gets. Um, you know, I, want, I, I wonder, you know, if the, the people who are clamoring for good single-player experiences and only single-player experiences, like, um, you know, may, maybe you need to – maybe you need to accept that they're, you know, that if, the, if you're looking for that purity that – you know the 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 big AAA companies, um, they're not very, <laughs> they're, they're I guess they're they're not very good at managing that uh, that that balance. They they need they need this these features that or at least they make the argument they do to to make them viable long term. Um, and if you want if if you just want a game that isn't like touched at all by the stink of <laughs> of multiplayer. That maybe you need to look elsewhere. Uh, There's plenty you know, of single-player-only games on smaller-tier uh, teams. You know, Crypt of the Necro Dancer doesn't have any multiplayer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah and, and, or or even 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 your more odd stuff like Life is Strange ain't a multiplayer game. That's by Square. Yeah. The, uh, Square Enix. It doesn't get too much bigger than Square. Uh, I think yeah. EA is, but I mean, EA also wasn't stupid enough to try to make a movie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. Like, um, there there are, you know, you know, there, there's a price. I guess there is a price to pay for the the fanciest toys and the best graphics, right? Yeah. And, and, and the... it's amazing what you can do with with very little. But at the top end, the money has to come from somewhere. And and as you pointed out on the on previous podcast, the the risk aversion increases as those zeros increase as well. Oh, yeah, because oh. if 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 <laughs> if if you make a a $100,000 investment and get a one-tenth return, you've lost $90,000. If you make a mm. $10 million investment and get a 10% return, yeah. You've lost $9 million. And yeah. Yeah, that that's bad. Yeah, I mean, it must be it must be hard for everyone to get the balance right. I don't, I have no I don't know if you realize if you heard Runic shuttered uh, two days ago and like yeah. Runic was a pretty small, as I understand it, a pretty small studio. I don't know if it was financial reasons, but like they 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 brought it a game three months ago and they're closed today. Part of me is thinking, damn, did they just. Did they just overextend themselves, and this is what happens to a small business that overextends themselves? Like, I don't know. Uh, and and if you consider how hard that is for a company that size, you know, ima imagine how risk averse you'd get if you had, you know, tens of millions of dollars and in, invested it into stuff. Yeah. Um, and and if you're looking at it from EA's point of view, there, like, if if you invest a whole bunch in one project and it bombs, 
is that going to put mm. pressure on you to put pressure on other projects to perform better? Yeah. You yeah. you don't want that to happen at all. You want them completely independent of each other if you can help it. You don't yeah. want like, oh, this game from Dice underperformed. So visceral, you now have to make uh, half again as much money on this project or whatever. Yeah. Like, holy crap, that's bad. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if this is a topic for another time, but it does make you wonder, like, uh, I hear arguments now and then from commentators saying, you know, we need more middle market games. Uh, and maybe we not only that, but we need more sort of middle market studios, even ones that might exist under the AAA banner that are just they're aiming at games of a smaller scope, smaller expectations, smaller budgets. And they don't have to live and die by these stratospheric numbers. <laughs> That's <laughs> you know, they, it, it, there's yeah. actually there there's truth to that, and there's a problem with that. Where how much of the general public mind share do you get when you release a game? Yeah, uh, do, or do you just like throw it out there and it gets lost at sea? I mean, then yeah. the middle market doesn't really mean anything. And that <clears throat> swinging back around, that's kind of what Steam's algorithm is trying to help what their goal is to try to help solve whether you agree with their results at this point or not or their methods <laughs> but that that's the yeah. idea behind it is that you're trying to help solve for discoverability so that people don't have to invest in uh, marketing user acquisition trying to actually claw out some stuff because once again it's it's not a case of if you build it they will come it's like a great product yeah. can 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 help a lot but someone has to know about it yeah uh, anyway more comments on twitter our own uh, Judge Greg asked, uh, loot boxes, optional innocent feature or predatory tool of manipulation? Thinking specifically of Shadow of War here. <laughs> uh, I would say that it's, again, business got a business. There's points where it, this gets a little a little um, double talky, I would say, because the, the truth lies kind of in this balance of things. First of all, one of the quick examples I come up with is, okay, if you're an adult and you got, you're got you busy and you don't have time to grind out stuff to, to, to earn some, some in-game reward, I don't have a problem with offering people who are busy and want to be able to get through things the ability to get through them. For example, real simple one, uh, Street Fighter 3 Third Strike Online Edition on the PS3 was released. You could unlock Gil. Gil's a bastard. Uh, oh, you, ever, you, ever, you played that one? He's that half. He's that half red, half blue son of a bitch with the golden hair, right? Is that yep. is that him? Yep. He 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 is an absolute bastard, and I hope he shows up in Street Fighter 5 at some point. <laughs> like seriously, if you think Bison was was a pain. If you think any other boss in Street Fighter was a pain, if if you have bad memories of Seth or anything like that, no, no, Gil is a son of a bitch. Yeah, he is he's, overtly he's a... like three times as powerful as anyone else. It's like SNK boss level difficult. Geese Howard on steroids. No, Geese Howard has nothing on Gil. Holy cow! <laughs> Still looking forward to Geese and Tekken. But anyway, back to the question. You could either beat that game, which involved beating Gil with every character on the roster, 
or you could spend two bucks to get Gil. I have no problem with yeah. people spending two bucks to get Gil because it is a pain to beat Gil with every character, and you have to keep track of everything. And I think there was like you had to be on the middle difficulty setting, like four star difficulty or something like that. And that's that's brutal. I don't mind that. It's if you do something where, unbeknownst to someone who bought the game, there is an element to it where you wind up in a place where like you're screwed unless you pay more, like it was a trap, that's messed up. Mm. Now, looking at it that way, there's also a point where people, developers can innocently fall into that trap, unfortunately. Like, you don't realize that this snag was there. Yeah, a lot of people spend a lot of time looking at stuff and working with stuff to try to prevent that, but look, these things get complicated, and these things can happen. Uh, one thing that comes to mind is there's a fight in Final Fantasy Tactics where I think if you do not have the HP restore skill uh, 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 earned and equipped on your main character, because it's a one-on-one -on -one fight and you're kind of outgunned, if you don't have that skill, you're screwed. And if mm -hmm. you do have that skill, um, you can't lose. Like, you're just in that spot. Um so, like I said, these things do happen uh, accidentally. <laughs> but it's also important to recognize that sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes game players can look at something and say, Oh my god, this is terrible, you're forcing me to blah blah blah. Um, Plants vs. Zombies 2 came out and people had this reaction like, You have to pay to advance here! It's like, no, no, you didn't. You actually didn't. You uh -huh. earn in-game currency through normal gameplay, and you keep going. It was pretty similar to the first game. I, I actually didn't see what people were complaining about. I think it's because, like, the first game PC version, like, everything was unlocked, and the mobile version, you had the microtransaction to advance your unlocking. And yeah. I think both the PC and mobile version of, of Plants vs. Zombies 2 had the uh, in-app purchases to unlock stuff. But... Like, I actually never felt a pinch on that when I played the mobile version. So, like, I was looking at it, it's like, I don't care. It, it helps you speed up. I don't, I don't really care. So, if either that balance goes toward, uh, uh, like, a pain point, like, the engineering of the game, the design of the game goes toward constructing a pain point where people feel like they are forced to get a loot box and there's no say for example way to grind around it or skill your way through it just like the numbers become untenable that's a problem a little similar to the reaction i actually think this one's totally justified uh the reaction that people had to the uh dungeon keeper mobile game where like really quickly you run out of stuff to do and if you're going to advance you have to pay yeah or wait until tomorrow <laughs> yeah <laughs> like and 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 those those timer points like, they make sense, but that game had a huge problem where you just completely ran out of stuff to do way too fast. It was... It's it's when that design element doesn't line up with a player's expectation and you get these, like, comically overt pain points, friction mm. points, or whatever term you want to use with it. That's yeah. when it comes across as a cynical money grab by the, the game developer or publisher or whichever person you're going to complain about. 
Yeah, and and when that's combined with you know particularly whorish menu systems and stuff, and it really shoves it down your throat, that can be a, a one-two punch that really puts people off at times. I I think I may have been a little bit ruined in the concept. I get what you mean by a whorish menu system, but I've also looked <laughs> at the menu for Game of War. Oh my god! Oh my god! Like. You open <laughs> if you open that game, you're like, all I want to do is make these things shut up, but you can only make them shut up by paying money. Yeah, yeah. like it's it's not a, it, those aren't things where you like, oh, it's a notification. You open up and it goes away. No, it stays there. Yeah. <laughs> <Ugh>. Yeah. <laughs> so no, I can't specifically talk to Shadow of War because I haven't played that one. I don't have the time for. Certain things I'm trying to get through freaking life is strange now. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. And then there's also stuff like when things get a little bit uh, tone deaf, like having, was it Call of, is it Call of Duty? They got loot boxes on, on freaking Normandy Beach. Yeah, yeah, that was, yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, no, that's a bad idea. I really, I really hope someone on the testing team pointed out that this is in bad taste. Yeah. Uh, and they probably got ignored because, you know, that's what happens. And the last comment in the Twitter box. Uh, the No Time for Time Travel podcast at NTFTT Pod asked, uh, which studio would you be most surprised of closing down, yet would not be surprised if EA bought them and shut it themselves? And this goes to the, yeah, this goes to what we were talking about before. You know, EA is the common factor in a lot of this stuff, whether or not they truly deserve the reputation they have. But I think I have to kind of take a third option here. It's not necessarily EA that, that factors into this. Like most, most studios are really just one failure away from shutting down. So the only studios that I would be really surprised if they they shut down under any circumstances, being associated with EA or not, are the ones that have a really really robust war chest. Like yeah, yeah, like um, yeah, exactly. Like uh, like uh, what what's uh, Grand Theft Auto guys? Like the, the thought Rockstar? of them going bankrupt. Yeah, ro- like Rockstar going bankrupt. Like they've had so many sales. They've had so much sales success behind them that for them to go under, my goodness, you know, how bad, like, it'd have to be completely mismanaged. Um, I was even a little surprised to see how badly THQ, uh, like, I I didn't associate THQ with turds, and yet <laughs> when they died, they they died spectacularly. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, that, and, that's, and that's another example of what I was talking about earlier, how you don't want one failure for one thing that a publisher is bankrolling to affect other projects. And they, <clears throat> they fell for it because they were, they were in so much trouble. They, they, bet, they, they placed money on that UDRAW tablet to a ludicrous degree. Like it, it was a moderate yeah. success. Like, oh, that's our only moderate success. So let's over invest there. And they, they like oversaturated and killed the market so hard. I wouldn't be surprised if it affected yeah. the Wii U's fortunes. I would think uh, Rocksteady's next game is going to have to be pretty, uh, pretty solid. Um, that Arkham Knight was an absolute disaster of a of a launch. Mm. Um, like unprecedentedly bad 
And uh, it's hard to picture a, st- a studio even. A- and look, the, the previous two games in the series were favorites of mine. But man, uh, you, you follow up a game like that with another lukewarm or crap title. And <laughs> you, 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 I, can't, I can't imagine you surviving too much longer after that uh, in the wake of two screw up of two complete screw ups. So I, I hope they're on their best behavior for their, <laughs> their next release. Yeah, I, uh, and, and uh, th- sometimes – and going into it, uh, a, a little bit of the unknown numbers behind it, like, okay, that, that game may have had a whole lot of problems. I'm not exactly sure what the sales numbers were and what was the development for it. Is the franchise still profitable? Did they have a war chest from the previous games? Yeah. Like, just yeah, because exactly. a game is having a whole bunch of trouble doesn't mean it didn't sell well enough. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've, For example, I, I've heard – that while Titanfall 2 did not sell to expectations, it was still profitable. Mm. Like, I don't, I don't know. But if that's the case, good on them. But if yeah. at, the, at the same time, like because of, I've actually never played Titanfall, so I couldn't really speak to the quality of the game, or the the, the kind of parkour mech concept behind it. <laughs> uh, but if if someone were to turn around tomorrow and say like look titanfall just wasn't working out we have we have to shut it down i i wouldn't be shocked con- just considering the the kind of atmosphere around it i mean the 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 other uh one that would really surprise the other ones that would really surprise me if they shut down were uh, are uh supercell the one behind uh, uh boom beach and clash of clans clash royale heyday i mean they have so much money they I've seen them put out billboards. Like it's probably just because they have such a strong stream of revenue, and it's like, well, why not? Why not? Yeah, <laughs> might as well. Let's yeah. see what happens. Um, and so they do carpet bombing stuff, and as and I I, <laughs> I, I, I draw a distinction between them and uh, 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 MZ or Machine Zone or Admired or whatever they're calling themselves this week behind Game of War and um, oh whatever the one with Arnold is Global Strike or whatever like. They adver- yeah. they advertise because they're desperately trying to, to they they are ones who really do target whales with their business like if they had to shut down and be like yeah I kind of saw that one coming I didn't think I think you'd be able to keep that one up <clears throat> so yes well they have a big enough war chest to say get a Super Bowl ad like that kind of dubious uh, use of of their capital seems to be kind of how they operate like yeah um hard hard to see that working in the long term yeah that's it sounds like i'm contradicting myself but um no they're 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 different concepts here but another one and this goes again to speaking about war chests and strength of your uh income stream i don't think valve's ever going to shut down (laughs) at least not because because you get to get the money from steam and and actually that's another example of having a flat uh, power structure. I'm still fascinated by like people there just come there and work on whatever interests them. <clears throat> yeah, I have no idea Weird. how that works, but apparently yeah. they're a group that, that it works for. So, and then they got the uh, they got to the digital distribution Apple first. Yeah, and uh, they can afford to they can afford to be weird. <laughs> <laughs> and and just sort of aimless if they've got that much wind at their sails. Yeah, <laughs> you know? they they do have the freedom to make some mistakes. Yeah, but with that in mind, the concept of shutting down studios, um, the war story for this episode. Um, ah. 
There was a time when I was working at a place that supposedly had like a three-game deal for something. And th there was some other stuff going on, but but with or was it three games? It was some number of games that we were actually like contractually obligated to provide. Like in the sense of it doesn't matter, you have to actually give us these many games. <laughs> <laughs> and someone said there, someone asked a question and someone gave an answer. Um, I don't think I heard the answer directly. It was like the person who asked the question relayed the answer. It's like, okay, well, if game one isn't a success, and that's our first game, what happens? Oh, we just move on to game two. <laughs> and and the, wow. the, the guy who asked the question is like, I have never seen that happen. Every time I've heard someone say, we'll just move on to game two. If game one was a failure, the place shuts down after game one. And... Um, <laughs> Yeah, it. Um, I'm not going to say the place shut down, but it certainly wasn't a case of you just move on to game two. <laughs> it was, it's it's not that simple. It uh, yeah, yeah. It um, it's kind of surprising someone would have the gall to say that out loud. You know, knowing how <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't well, seem to line up with reality people, on on the year. <laughs> This is this is one of the things that that's a trick with uh, the games industry. You uh, you bring in people who are passionate about the medium, right? And that's why you can have engineers who work for less than they would be able to make other way, other other places, otherwise other. Yeah. Uh, and to some extent, people drink the Kool Aid. They think, okay, yeah, we've got this money. It'll it'll take us this far, and you know if we appear to be a failure, we'll just get another crack at it. And no, it really doesn't work that way. If you've shown yourself to not be capable of either making a successful game or taking a game that is uh, dubious and pulling it out and making it uh, respectable, you know, why would people continue to invest money in you? Yeah, why would we risk anything on a second and third go? Yeah, yeah. and that doesn't necessarily mean that the team like every individual on the team is a failure that doesn't necessarily mean that the management is a failure just somewhere in this group somewhere in the plan it was a failure and so you don't just double down on a failure and expect things to go better and and you know in turn if you think about it a certain way at what point do you think that if a, if a team gets shut down like visceral visceral what makes visceral visceral is it the name on the building or over the door? Is it the URL? No, it's the people, right? It's the team. Yeah. And if the team is losing employees, what what are you concerned about? Like a whole bunch of the yeah. people, like the one name everyone mentions is Amy Hennig and she wasn't there before. And they're, yeah. they're dropping a bunch of their experienced developers. It's... It, if Ragtag had continued through all of this and they replaced a bunch of people and they kept going, it's not the same team anymore. It's just it's just not. Yeah. Like maybe you have a couple of ex like uh, managers or executives or something like that that try to make a continuation of the corporate culture. That I mean, like if if you're if you're a fan of the office culture, the corporate culture that this company or this team represents, that I get. But I almost never hear anybody talking about things in those terms. It, it's it's either got to be the people or the culture or you're just going on about a brand 
Like if, if, if people will talk about say Pseudo 5.1 or 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 um uh what oh why is his name escaping me uh, <laughs> uh metal gear guy oh kojima yeah hideo kojima or uh for right or wrong peter molyneux or richard garriott or you know there, there's a handful of people for whom you'd be like i trust this person i trust what they will produce but there's more developers out there that people are fans of than there are these people. So yeah. don't get don't get so fixated on the brand because it's it's just a name, you know. And, or or even the franchise, you know, you, you get fixated on a franchise and you start missing kind of when things are no longer unique or special about it. I don't know. I uh, I I think I've beating this one to death and i'm just rambling now so <laughs> jeff what do you have coming up on your next point streak episode here on enthusiasts i honestly have no idea i <laughs> i'm tossing up a few ideas with people but i i will uh i'll be making a call about that sometime in the next few days but yeah for now uh I, you know subject to star wars games has come up a few times but we're still still not sure what the next one's going to be mm. all right well, with that, I think we're going to call it for today. Uh, thanks for making time, Jeff. I think that uh, that, that came out better yep. than I thought it was going to be about five minutes in. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, thanks, everybody else, for joining us. Uh, thanks to Monster Closet and Judge Greg and No Time for Time Travel for the questions and comments. And if there's anything anybody out there would like to see me write about in the Bind Line article series... I, I hopefully am done talking about algorithms on there. It's actually more interesting than I just made it sound, <laughs> but I'm not going to call it gripping. Hopefully I'm done there. Um, unless the news throws me another curveball. But if there's anything anyone out there wants to see me write about on the Behind the Line article series or hear us talk about here on Behind the Line Radio, you can always get in touch with me at kinetic at enthusiacs.com. That's K-Y-N-E-T-Y-K at enthusiacs.com. Or follow me on Twitter. You can hit me up there. Uh, feed into the Twitter bag, everybody. I, I like that. Because uh, it's all about me, right? Yeah. No. Uh, I'm at... I'm Follow me on Twitter. At Kinetic Nose. K-Y-N-E-T-Y-K-K-N-O-W-S. I'll see y'all next time, everybody. Behind the Line Radio is presented by Enthusiacs.com. For more podcasts, Let's Plays, articles, videos, reviews, and more, visit us at Enthusiacs.com. Also, send us a comment on Twitter at Enthusiacs. View us on YouTube, channel Enthusiacs, and like us on Facebook, Enthusiacs. Thank you.